Welcome to the Awaken the Awesome podcast with your host, Olivier D. This is Awaken the Awesome, a podcast where we acknowledge that we are all in this together. Through enlightening conversations and personal insights, we like to engage with individuals just like you who show us how they are bringing a little bit of awesomeness along their individual journeys. Our hope is to inspire you to always keep pushing and to stay awesome along the way. What do avocados, distributed ledger technology, and purposeful dedication have in common? I struggled a lot in my last years of high school, as well as throughout college. What resulted was that even though I remain a strong advocate for academia, for the longest time, I carried a strong sense of personal underachievement compared to individuals who maximized their academic potential, opportunities, and endeavors in order to accomplish some pretty incredible things. This is definitely something that caught my eye when I came across an interview where my next guest's level of knowledge, expertise, and overall sense of purpose was so powerfully and eloquently shared that it left me floored. Originally from Haiti, Geneviève Lévy is the principal founder and CEO of AgriLedger, a blockchain solution which has been used to support and allow Haitian fruit farmers, customers, and families to reap the benefits of fairer prices and improved food security. An innovative entrepreneur, global speaker, and technology maven with a background Background in corporate and institutional banking, she has more than 25 years' experience dealing with large corporations and banks in financial supply chain optimization. With a reputation for the delivery of disruptive technologies in large-scale projects, Geneviève is recognized as an authority in the realm of digital identity and financial transformation. Exploring the powers of distributed ledger technologies for over three years, her work in the financial inclusion for Africa is also well known. She serves as the vice chair for the Tech UK Distributed Ledger Technologies Working Group, an organization that provides strategic direction for all UK activities related to blockchain and DLT, and is also an inaugural member of the advisory group for the Estonian government's e-residency initiative for the digital identity. On this episode, I go back to school, literally, as Geneviève's wealth of information and expertise shed some light on issues that hit close to home for me, specifically the ways in which we as everyday consumers have our role to play in the the global food supply chain, the new technologies ensuring fair compensation for farmers and distributors, as well as her incredible example of resilience and singular purpose. This was an incredible interview to start out the year. So let's get into this. Awaken the Awesome, episode 145 with Geneviève Levier. Here we go. I was a bit intimidated, you know, by this, this exchange. Here's why. I get very curious. And the thing is, the more I get curious about stuff, then you realize, it's like when you start working, I don't know, for 3M, you realize that 3M is not just post-its, you know? <laughs> and when I started digging and, you know, just hearing about blockchains and tokens and crypto and stuff, it's like, what? first of all, you hear blockchain and you, it's super hyper technology. And I've considered myself a geek, but when I dive into your world and listening to two or three interviews, I'm like, oh my God, I know absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but didn't you hear the my best interview, which is I say it's like uh spreadsheets in the sky. There you go. <laughs> or there somebody go. said diamond and it said like diamond in the sky. I go, yeah, kinda like that. It's spreadsheets, spreadsheets. But what really moves me about it is because I keep thinking about the fact that 
you know, you've done so much and, you know, your pedigree speaks for itself with all your accomplishments and all your awards from left and right. And with all this knowledge and all this expertise, you could do a lot of things, but you chose to dive and double down into your purpose and to serve the greater good in terms of you say it yourself. If I'm sitting here at the table eating a tomato, I am involved. I here in Canada am involved in agriculture on the global scale. And, um, it really touched me in one of your interviews, um, but you, that you, you, you really um, put an image on it when you talked about the drop of prices in tomatoes and talking about every single culture in the world at some point has, you can't find a single culture that does not use tomatoes near or far you know, in terms of their cooking and their recipes. And you talked about when the price of tomatoes drops and uh, you said, you know, just to pick a number, you draw, okay, it went from 10 cents a kilo to 2 cents a kilo. And there were riots and, you know, farmers started, started killing themselves. And That's I'm like, in India. that was very colorful. But that was, I really wanted to ask the questions like, why? For, for those of us who aren't really in the know, how, what explains that such a, such a visceral reaction? Because you've lost all the money that you put in. So if you think about that you work for months and the money that you're going to make from the cell, is going to cover your expenses. Mm-hmm. And now you find out that you're going to not even make enough to cover your expenses. You're going to make, so 10 cents would have gotten you to cover everything that you spend, your seed, your water, your fertilizer, your uh, transformation, all of that. Now you're going to get two cents. 10 cents, you were scratching it. At two cents, you might as well kill yourself wow. because life is no longer worth it unfortunately that's the unfortunate reality of many of those farmers in that they're unable to make ends meet and we don't think about those aspects you know i we don't really think about those aspects a lot of time of if let's say you are a farmer Mm -hmm. you have a family you have children you need to send them to school no parent i'm sorry child slavery is only only in the time of um, was it Oliver Twist? Was it that you and it wasn't even the parents who instilled that slavery? You sold your child, and somebody used them to slave to as slave. So child slavery is a misnomer when it is your child working in your field. You'd mm-hmm. rather see them in school. You'd rather see them be- doing better. But unfortunately, you need them to be able to look to survive, for the family to survive, for the family to be able to eat. I would wish that it was a problem only of the emerging uh, economies or what we call the developing world. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it's also a reality in the West, imagine a farmer who now is not going to make enough to really cover his his expenses and has a wife who's sick with cancer and he cannot pay the doctor to take care of her or he cannot afford to send his children to school. Those are rea- stark realities on un- unfortunate people who are in the agricultural space. So if you can make it to where it is equitable for everyone or that they can prove that things have come from them, Mm -hmm. uh, that they are the actual producer or that the good that says that it comes from Mexico comes from Mexico and not from Ecuador. Not that those two make much of a difference, but still 
when you're not sure of what it is, you discount both. So wow. if we if we can provi- provide provenance, that's one step toward creating the traceability and trust. It's not only trusting data, but because you're now creating that social contract that I am getting what I believe I said I was buying, I'm then willing to pay. But the thing is that we are seeing this this whole idea of uh, carbon footprint. So if you know that you are paying for something to come from afar mm-hmm. versus you're paying for something to come close by, you may, based on your belief, pay more for the one which is grown locally. You do so, see that. You do see that because even when I go shopping as well, like, you know, you've got the stall with this example that you love avocados you have avocados coming from here which are about you know maybe a dollar five and then you have avocados coming from here they're like 225 and it's all about the origin you have local farmers and you have mexico mexican tomatoes and like okay are my joys going to decide on pricing am i going to decide on quality and those are the choices that we as consumers make and so that's basically the the relationship of trust that you're talking about in terms of origin and provenance and making sure that i'm actually buying and it's not because of just the label. I need to be exactly. able to source that information. And unfortunately, not long ago, I was looking at an, uh, a, a program and they were talking about um, even the farmer's market now that you can't trust what it says in the farmer's market. And they proved that it wasn't being grown in a farmer's market. They were buying it from the big, so it was Dristol mm-hmm. and it actually had the Dristol tag on it. And they went with hidden cameras and they could show that the guy was removing the tags as he was putting in to say it's farmer's market. Now, this is one instance, but if you are saying I'm buying from a farmer's market or I'm buying directly from the farmers, you don't want a situation where you're actually doubting, is this really the case? Mm-hmm. So. It's, I think that also what we will have found as a result, I think the pandemic has done a lot of things, but one of the things that it has done is it has reconnected a lot of us with our food. Or unfortunately, I was looking at TV the other day, the US is now no longer at four in 10, so 40%, but now at six in 10, we're food insecure in the US. Oh. During Thanksgiving. This is um, CNBC came about a week and a half ago about saying four in 10 food insecure. And because of Thanksgiving, they said that many of the food banks were overrun. And now they're talking about six and 10 American are food insecure, which means you're not getting enough nutrition. You don't have, they don't have the money to avail themselves. And they are basically waiting to go to food banks to be able to feed themselves. That's scary. That's that's scary. And that's That's just the U.S. So we're not even seeing, I mean, FAO and um, the FAO and also UNIS World Food Program have talked about that, Mm -hmm. that as a result of COVID, they expect 270 million people to join the rank of uh, food insecurity. So, zero hunger was going the wrong direction already. So it was increasing by ten million a year instead of ten million a year. Yeah, 
it was increasing by 10 million. Now this year, in in July, I heard they, I was doing, looking at a program with UNDP and UNICEF and FAO, and they said they expect it to be 270 million. million. This year, just added 270, yeah. Because wow. what we don't think about is what has it done for inputs. So we, in the mega farms, Mm-hmm. will not have a problem because it's one or very few individual doing the grain. But we don't think about what's happening in those places where it's a smallholder farmer, which is providing for the, loca- the, the local community. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the number, about 70, depending on who you're looking at, 72. Um, so 80% of farm is actually smallholder farmers. 80%. 80%. And That's they said... And they feed, and that's less than an acre and a half, and they feed 70% of the world. Well, they don't feed in the um, high-value markets as much, but if you think about it, the local market, they're the one providing. So imagine during COVID, many of those countries stop transportation, stop access, stop financing. Uh, many of the aid that was coming through was no longer available. available. So therefore, I believe that we're going to see, uh, so already there is no longer the surplus in soy and corn, which means that the surplus used to be what kept us going like for the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, you know, we don't eat today, usually the grain that is grown today. Uh, fresh fruits and vegetables, a different story. That's also has its different challenges. And many of those communities are looking at those stable grain. They're not incorporating that much vegetable in their, in their diet. So we are going to have a problem. Uh, I, scary. It is scary. Um, and again, this is probably a, a question that's a, a little bit, you know, just very low hanging fruit. But in your experience, like looking on the global scale, is there enough food on the planet to feed everybody? Or yes. are we running out of, are we running a shortage? No, we do have enough. We just have a loss. And the loss is twofold. One, it could be that there isn't the right storage. So many of those countries in, the southern hemispheres do not have those big silos, which are well ventilated, don't have, um, you know, problem humidity or rat infested, mm-hmm. because that causes a lot of loss. You have, to, co- other- you have to account for that for the vermin and, uh, you know, for exactly. the spoils and stuff. So I'd say probably 30% of that is gone. Okay. And then we waste, we waste so much globally. So zero waste is something that we should be going for closer. But what the part of the reason for that waste is that we overproduce in some places and we don't get it where it's needed. So FAO talks about by 2050 needing to have almost uh, 70% more. But that's not due to really not having enough. But if we look at the locust problem that's going in sub-Saharan Africa, that's destroying fields and fields and fields. That means the people who in the savanna who would be eating that grain will go on starving. 
they won't so have. So millions of locusts are decimating the crop. Exactly. Okay, so then there's no food for the people. Okay. So it, it, it's it's um, it's like this multiple effect. If you have floods, so the other problem is that if you have floods, because you don't have proper irrigation, that's a loss of crop. So it's there is enough crop being grown, but not enough making it to the table. And it can be something like north and south. One has plenty and it's going bad. This happened, like let's say, with Nigeria and Kenya, mm-hmm. where one has plenty and the other one doesn't have. And the regulatory aspect of trying to get it across the border would be difficult. Uh, I actually had um, about two years ago, two and a half years ago, I met the guy from the World Food Program, the one who received the um, the Nobel Prize, because the World Food Program received the no- Nobel Prize recently for okay. their work. Okay, okay, okay. And he was telling me about how a truck of food could be stopped at the border between two African countries just because they wanted to have, they had different ways of proving the certification which were needed. And so at the time we were talking about the ability to use that certificate. If you were to capture everything that create a certification, you could then demonstrate through that and create a different certification which are needed for a multitude of places. So if you followed all the rules, you don't need a stamp from each one of them, which is usually mm-hmm. what happens, but you mm-hmm. get a collective stamp. Because he was saying that part of the problem is that he could have a truck trying to drive through. And still be stopped. And still be stopped because they were like, well, you don't have the right certification. I think we have some ways to go toward fixing that. But I think if we can create a shared And this is why I think blockchain lends itself well to a shared purpose. So this is technology. So we call, we we give the technology a name, but I think that at some point we're going to get to the same place as we do right now. Do you know what technology runs your email? Do you really care? No, I don't. I just make sure that that it works. Exactly. But there is a lot of technology behind it. Yes, there is. When email first came out, everybody was talking about the technology, the TCP IP, SSL, da 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 da, certificates. And what's so funny is that people don't even remember when emails first started, you'd have one email for the organization. You didn't have an email per person, you had one email, which was the messenger, and you had to be on the same platform sometime to be able to enter operability wasn't there. So we are now in uh, the start of a new, I would call, revolution. Because that technology is not so new. It's actually a bit old. Mm-hmm. It's just that it has improved. And it has now, mostly in the world that we live, where we're so interconnected, but connected from afar, we are getting to almost what I would call uh, internet with trust. So it's basically like that email that I send and I get a return receipt because I know you've read it. So it, so in that same simplified way is where it starts being useful. 
But the other part about it that I think is very important is it gives access to people who normally would be marginalized. And this is why it's so important to not only um, make sure that it's used in many contexts, because for me, um, I think there there are so many other things that can be done. So this afternoon, I was actually on a, a call with this group um, called the African Blockchain Development Course uh, Consortium that this guy ran 12 weeks training, uh, bringing people globally to, to speak and to train uh, teams, which came up and designed something. So it's mm-hmm. important to get people involved, but not involved only, let's say, in the U.S., Europe, or Canada. It needs to be a consolidated, you know, universal effort. Consolidated universal effort. But I think also technology is one of the things that would allow, today's technology would allow you to live anywhere in the world. It's been proven. What's happening with the pandemic, we're all, you know, at first it was difficult, but we're all working. Mm-hmm. We're all functional. What does those who are unable to work are those who either have work um, roles which demand for them to do something different, healthcare and things like that. You you can't give real healthcare care if you're doing it over a phone. You can listen to somebody mental health, but not mm-hmm. physical care. Mm-hmm. But the other challenge is if you don't have the infrastructure to actually be able to communicate. And now that there is there's no reason, there's no barriers to, to these things, and that what is what needs to be fixed. But unfortunately, if the country, like let's say Haiti, I don't know about you, I hate calling Haiti sometimes because I don't mm-hmm. know when the Wi-Fi is going to work. You know, you, you call know. somebody, you, you know, you call. Three or four times the calls you, drop, and depending whether the person is in the hills or if there is rain or whatever, it's always and always so, so confusing and so annoying. Yeah, and so as such, you feel as though um, this is, to me, an opportunity if a country... So I know what I'm doing. This is about giving the people on the countryside the ability to have an income which is not reliant on uh, the toils of others back uh, outside of home in the U.S. sending remittance, but actually being able to make money from from their own work. But the other piece to this is that I think that there there are many other projects coming up which will allow for, so one of the ones I'm working on with a friend, it's about the digitization, like let's say, of elephants and creating living assets out of elephants. So there is a gentleman by the name of Ralph Kiame from the IMF, mm-hmm. and he is one of the directors at the IMF, so, you know, total economic technologist, but he's actually come up with the calculation that an elephant, which is alive, is worth about 2 million because of its carbon positive contribution. Okay. So there's a digital worth to a physical asset. Exactly. A living physical asset. So he says uh, the first thing to do is to work with those countries. So imagine Gabon which has a probably about, uh, let's say, 10 million elephant, 10,000 elephant, we'll go with 10,000. Mm-hmm. They can go ahead and make those living assets. When you have digitized and recognized those assets, 
then someone like Mr. Kiame can make sure that they now uh, can be traded. So which means an organization, let's say like a Coca-Cola, who needs to have that carbon credit, can buy the carbon credit. But here's the beauty. Using blockchain technology, you can track to make sure that that elephant is still available. But the other side of that is that you can actually tokenize that carbon, sell it to to Coca-Cola, and take that money and bring it back into the country. Into the country. And And because... the, The beautiful thing I love about all that you've shared is the fact that Bringing it, bringing it to again the 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 very simple image of the farmer who worked really hard to get his produce out there to make sure that this person is compensated fairly, honestly, and effectively. Because it's one thing to sell the product, but if you're just sitting around twiddling your thumbs, as you said, you know, waiting to take care of your wife and family, waiting for that payment to come back, there needs to be some form of as you as the word again, the ledger. They can show, okay, this is where the product is. Okay, this is where we receive, and here's your money. It's it's very simple, but the infrastructure is again it has to be solid, reliable, and effective. And it's such a beautiful thing, you know. That accountability aspect is what blows my mind because I can't believe people haven't thought about this before. Because I guess it's the old school way of doing things. But that's the beauty of what AgriLeisure is doing: basically making, putting putting the power you know, at an even level and not just, you know, making the farmer being makes basically, you know, the uh, the bottom end of the pyramid just waiting to, to be compensated. And that's but what I love about it. One of the things that people talk about and don't really always think about, we always say, oh, the middleman, the middleman. Well, guess what? The middleman has a lot of risk. He has risk to the farmer delivering and he's got risk to market. Mm-hmm. The market no longer wants what he's gotten from the farmer. So, he also does pay the farmer. It may not be great money, but he pays the farmer some money. And then he goes and does what's needed to get it to market. To market. So now he has lots of risks on his, on his head. The farmer, we have, for some, remove accountability in that because they're feeling that they're not fairly compensated. And you understand, if I don't think I'm going to be fairly compensated, I don't care. I just give. Try to give as much as I can so I can make as much as I can. But I know when I give it, I'm getting pittance based on what is actually going to be gotten at market. Mm-hmm. So I no longer have accountability. I'm responsible for it, but no accountability. But now if you start giving everyone their roles and accountability. So you farmer, you have to get a quality project product and don't pick it up. Don't, don't try and stuff things in in the middle. Mm -hmm. You transformation, transportation, you're providing a service. So it's really in ways using that Uber model of creating accountability at each level and making sure that everyone is fairly compensated. So if a process, let's say you have a fisherman and the fish fisherman catches the fish but doesn't clean the fish and brings it to somebody who's going to fish, clean the fish, de, de, you know, do all, all the work, but then you let the market decide 
in terms of that relationship, what is fair. You can have them also work with each other instead of against each other Mm -hmm. to where it's a shared value. The value which is received is shared equally or shared based on inputs. And as such, everybody is trying to get the best to get the best price. And once you've done that, you then, um, you're actually creating real community interaction also. Because what you want is one needs to realize that not everybody can do everything. The farmer, bless his soul, doesn't want to be a transformation, doesn't want to do the transformation, doesn't want to do the selling. Sometimes they may, but it takes away from them being able to make sure they get the best uh, product produced. They don't take care of their producer because there's too many things going on. So like everything else at work, we need to look at compartmentalization of the right aspect and the right responsibility. And based on who has the most cost, compensate them based on that cost. But if you have, and now if you can have something which has transparency, such as the ledger, it then allows everyone to continue to collaborate. Because sometimes we stop collaborating because we think one person is cheating. Okay. Distrust. Yes. In the supply chain. Well, and that's why I don't usually sometimes say supply chain. I say value chain. Value chain. Okay. Because the value chain is really about, an you know, and this is the thing about, if you think about the whole blockchain token Bitcoin, it is an exchange of value. So if you're exchanging value, you are, it could be through a barter or it could be through a shared understanding of what that value is. We know what the value of the food is. We know what the value of the work is. So therefore, if we can capture those information, we can then make sure that everybody gets an equitable share. So and even I, I as the end, sorry to cut you off. So even I as the end user can consult, you know, can can see basically the tracings of this ledger to make sure that okay, I really got this avocado from you know said farmer in Haiti, and it yeah. got on this truck on this day, and it was delivered in Canada on this day, and it made it to the market on this day, and like I, I exactly. all this information might be accessible to me, the end user will will be accessible to you in the end user, and you will be able to see which farmer. Where in Antibonite or in wherever in Plateau Central, uh, pick that, that fruit. Now, what you won't know, which is something that you shouldn't need to know. How many fruits did he pick? How much money did he make? All you know is for your avocado or your two mm-hmm. avocados, what did they make for that avocado? Because what we don't want is somebody to know what the total the only person who should know how much that farmer made is that farmer, mm-hmm. his banker. Mm-hmm. And that's his banker if he needs him to to know. And she may not want her husband to know how much exactly came into the bank account. Okay. So it's really for her to share that information and not for us to share. So we will share with you information about when it was harvested, What's the temperatures? Where did it come from? When did it land in Canada? Did it come by flight or did it come by boat? So it came to a boat in Miami. Then it was driven, uh, like let's say, 24 hours to Quebec. 
and it got to your store on this date and you are now having this beautiful avocado. And that is one of the positive things that happened from the summer in that Haiti, for the first time, had the first commercial exportation of avocado. We, wow. We've been growing avocado forever, but we never had a commercial exportation. So the project in Haiti is actually run by the Ministry of Commerce mm-hmm. and Industry, so not by agriculture. So it is about creating business opportunity. So this is about taking said producer, and I don't like to call them farmers. I call them producers. Producer, okay. Because this also denotes that it doesn't matter what you do. So your produce can be fruits, could be vegetable, could be anything, could be farming. But your produce could also, you could imagine, you could put this in art. It allows the individual to retain ownership and then to be able to almost elucidate the help of others. And that other organization that comes and helps gets compensated for the work that they have done. It's all about working together. Exactly. And of all the things, and again, people are probably going to ask this as they listen to this recording. How in the world did... You know, you shift from the banking sector and decide that, you know what, this is what I want to dedicate myself to. Because, you know, having done so much with your career and a lot of people are, you know, who are listening to us are also in that called it paradigm and telling myself, what else, what is it, uh, what am I here for? What do I, how can I, you know, use my skills to their best um, a purpose? And I'm just wondering, what was the catalyst that drove you to actually, you know, go down the path that AgriLedger has led you to? So some of it is the Haitian gene (laughs) in that in my family, you either die young or my uncles are 97, 95, 94, kicking, no Alzheimer. Their bodies are not doing as well as it should, but man, they're still walking around and their brains sharp as ever. And usually you die like by your 45, and I've had my illnesses and I've escaped all of them. And I kind of went, okay, what is my purpose in life? What do I want to do with the second half of my life? Because I've got a good 20, 30 years to go. And what am I passionate about? And what have, and I think this also the catalyst has happened that the world has changed. It used to be you needed to work for a large organization to have purpose. You, all the communication was internal and your stakeholder management was internal. Nowadays, it's even the large organizations are becoming smaller. So which means that as an, as an individual, you can contribute and you can make a difference. And I found my voice this way because... What I've always done is I've always been in between the technology and the business. So looking at the business and saying, how can the technology help? And looking at the technology and saying, is there anything new that can help the business? And coming in tandem with those two and being a total foodie, I was like, if I'm going to do something, I was like totally enamored when I first heard about 
uh, this technology, I was like, wow, something which is going to do straight through processing. For years, I was trying to do something called in-house banking, which is on behalf. Wow, I can do on behalf now and I can keep track to whom it belongs and trace it and know exactly. And I said, okay, what is it that I like to do? And there were two things. Uh, Food is a passion and travel is a passion. And then I thought, where could I make much more of a difference? And having grown in Haiti, I've seen what abject poverty can do. Oh, yeah. It's not just the fact that in the present you're unable to have enough calories, but that lack of calorie will then impede that person for the rest of their life. Saw it in, in Asia, saw it in India, saw it in Africa. And I believe that there are two very noble um, like um, agriculture or being a farmer is something very no- noble because we need them to be able to eat. The other one is actually education. And I hope that the um, the effect of this pandemic will be to make sure that teachers are compensated properly because now parents should know what it is like to have to deal yes. with homeschooling. Oh, yes. It's not easy. It's so not imagine easy. your child is getting to you and there's 20 like that in the class and the teacher is having to do that and they're not fairly paid. They're not fairly compensated. And that's the same thing with agriculture. And worse is in agriculture... The average age is about 58 58? for uh, a farmer. So if you imagine, 58 is the average age of a farmer. Youths don't go in there. If you think about it, you're like, if I have a child and I'm a farmer, I'm going to say, go do something else. Go, 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 go become an accountant. Go do something, which means that less and less, there's less farm farmers available or people come back when they're at the end and the product if if you're that old productivity is not going to be great no you're struggling so i felt that this was a very the technology can adapt itself to many things but this was a way that we could actually start talking about it and getting people to understand because everybody has to eat i think that the only people who don't eat, even if you don't like food, if you don't eat, you're dead or you're in a coma. Not much of a difference. Not much of a difference, exactly. But anything else, you must put something between your two lips in order to survive. And for me, things, even though I'm a biochemist, I studied biochemistry, I really don't want something which is done in a lab. I mean, this whole craze of plant-based meat not interested. Not a fan. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not even a. F- I'm just like you know what. I know what can go wrong in the lab. Uh, the batch could be wrong. Okay, fine. Tell me it's fine. But the taste is nothing like fresh food taste. No matter you know if you're a vegan or you're carnivore, that fresh food is that. There's nothing. Like and nothing it. compare. Nothing compare. And if we were meant to eat things which were fabricated, or you know, if we were meant to have things which are synthesized, 
we wouldn't be how we are as human beings. We need those nutrients. We need those balance of nutrients. And if we don't have it, we perish, we get sick. And I think actually, I'm wondering if some of the ill effects of the pandemic are not also based on the bad diet. Our diets. Yep. I mean, I hate to say it, those countries which don't have the ability to buy as many processed food have not had such a devastating But it's a fact. And if you now, what happens if you're going to change the way things are done, you're going to need, and also for the planet, I don't know if you have had the chance to see the Netflix with uh, David, Sir David Attenborough. Yes. Talking, oh, I mean, that is, it's really sobering in ways. It drives the point home. Yeah. But it is regenerative agriculture is about getting back to small agricultural which means that if we're going to get more people back to the land, we need to make sure that they can survive, that they can actually feed themselves, feed their family, and have an appropriate. Because what people forget is not everybody wants to be stupid, crazy rich. And even some of the people who are stupid, crazy rich don't don't like it because you then have an issue with your safety. You just want to be comfortable, not have to want. And if you're lucky, have enough that you can go and do things just for the pleasure of it. But really, we all want the basis, which is to be able to put a roof over our head, a house, educate our children, and feed ourselves. Everything else is a plus. So if we can make sure and there is enough wealth in the world to spread it this way to where everyone can have that mental health of feeling comfortable that I am doing what I like, I am enjoying my work, and I am paid fairly for it, then they can continue. And that's actually my attitude. I don't know if this is going to blow and make lots of money, but that's not the goal for me. The goal is really about how do we rebalance the world and how can we also get others on the movement because a movement is not just one person. A movement requires others to join in the crescendo. And let's try to get back to where we live in better harmony with one another and we are satisfied with what we have, and we don't demand more than what is our fair share. If our fair share is lots more, that's okay. But at least let's make sure that everyone has the opportunity and the right opportunities to do the right thing for themselves and their family. Fairness. Fairness. And I really like the fact that you, you, you spoke on that because a lot of people are going to ask you, but yeah, Geneviève, again, like, you know, what if this doesn't work? What if, because a lot of people get frozen into the fear of failure and that's why they never pivot. They don't do that next step. And I'm, you're very, you're very objective and you know, you know what you're getting into, but how would you speak to these people with these insecurities in regards to like, okay, like you said, I'm not sure if this is going to pan out or make a lot of money, but I know that's what I'm supposed to do. And how would you speak I, to those insecurities? I think that 
what you need to pivot. You need, and pivoting doesn't mean, you know, when we think of pivot, we think we're doing a 360. A pivot could be a step in a different direction. It could be going one third of the way in a different direction. It's being aware. And also, one of the things I think I've always been lucky with is I never freeze. Or if I freeze, I freeze momentarily. Ah. It's just, it's just, okay, stop. These are the different doors. I've tried this one and there was nothing. So step back and go to the next door. Because the only thing that stops you is stop of movement. It's no longer been there. So it's not to say that I haven't had my challenges. This has not, this has been by far some of the most challenging because I no longer had behind me the mammoth companies with those deep pockets Mm -hmm. where if a mistake happened, I could just quickly fix it and say, okay, yeah, waste of money. But now I have to be systematic about what is the waste and how do I mitigate this waste and how do I change what's necessary or where do I go and who do I speak to? So whose door am I going to knock at? So uh, to, to, to try to resolve the issue, because for me, I can't just stand there and just wait for something to happen. I, can't, I don't believe also one should stand there and wait for someone to bring it to you. You have to seek it. If you don't seek it, no one's going to know that you want it. So it's fear. It's getting over the fear of saying, I've made a mistake. If I've made a mistake, I've made a mistake. Okay, so now how do I fix it? And speaking to others. And sometimes it's not going to be someone which is higher than you. It could be someone who is just starting and having that conversation. So I think that it's important to always look at both sides of your uh, universe for feedback, for um, encouragement of or how to. So one of the things that happened the other day was that I was speaking to my intern and I mentioned to her that something was, I was finding it somewhat frustrating because the message wasn't getting there. And she said, you know why? We have these meetings on a daily basis, but we tend to come in and we say what we're working on, but we don't get to really hear you talk about what the vision is. And I took that and I said, okay, going forward once a week, I come on and I say what's going on and also how we can all shape this vision because at the end, I can't do it alone. But that's the key. And normally, you know, you'd say, okay, I'm going to go to an advisor to get that. Mm-hmm. Your advice can come from anywhere. And so it's just keep yourself open to it more than anything else. So rely not just on the quote unquote experienced people, but also from your team. Your team could also give you some very, very thoughtful feedback that could actually be quite useful for the enterprise. Exactly. Nice. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is so, this, this is so energizing because you have, you have no idea because this is such a world unto itself. Um, because it teaches us a lot. 
about uh, being patient, uh, being open to the universe, um, trying to do the greater good. And a lot of times people see uh, quote unquote success or trying to venture out and you know, be an entrepreneur or something like, okay, I need to have the next, you know, the next Amazon. And when you look at people like you doing something as simple, like, okay, trying to solve a food problem and a distribution problem and a fair compensation problem. This is very real because you might think that because you're doing agri-leisure that I, Olivier, am not involved into what you're doing. When I realized that looking at everything you're doing, I realized that, okay, as a consumer, as you said, we all have to eat. You have to, I have to, I have to feed my kids. I need to think about, huh, this tomato versus that tomato. Or how many tomatoes? Do I really need 12? Because even you talking about spoils and food waste, sometimes we buy a bag of potatoes and then we realize that, okay, we made two or three recipes. And then over time, you forget about it. And then, oh, two weeks later, spoils. And then I have to throw that into a trash can or a compost. And I'm like, huh, coming from Haiti. And you're like, and there are people going hungry right now. Yep. So these are the things we need to be conscious about. And that's what I love about you talking about balance. And just for, you know, for people, again, trying to bring it back home, what are those daily practices or some tips that you think that even we, if we're not involved into you know, the agri-tech space, are, are there little steps, little nudges that we can do to move the situation forward? You know, I, I, think, I think one of the things that you just talked about, less food waste. Because we encourage this food waste by buying more than we use. The overproduction results in less prices being found. We then put it in the trash or the compost and we forget about, about it. And we don't realize the effect that we're having on the whole earth because she had to produce more than what we actually um, consume. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that I think it's important um, to stay aware, read. You know, uh, one of my routines, and it's gotten worse. It used to be six o'clock. Now at five o'clock in the morning, I'm up. I go and I, 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 I find like it's like the other day I had to go, okay, stop. Start tracing back where you started from in order to get to where you, the information that you receive now. Mm -hmm. So it's be forever curious. I'm, I read a lot. I get a lot of what could be considered quote unquote junk mail. I sign up for these things and I fast read them. And if I find something which is interesting, then I'll start ticking through, then going through and finding more information, more information there's two things I think which is good. It makes you aware of what's going on in the world. So don't only concern with yourself with the area which is around you, but try to understand what else is going on in the world because you may think it's not affecting you, but it will have it could have an effect on you. And then two is um, making your own opinion. So one of the things is that mostly now, the news or information can be very polarized. So do not just rely on one type of, uh, of publication. Have several of them. And sometimes you don't even need to go in depth. It could be just skimming the, uh, the, the titles of the articles from The Economist, looking at what 
the Financial Times is telling you, looking at what CNBC or even Fox is telling you. And that then gives you a view of what's going on. And if someone is talking about it, you also are aware because I think it's important to be outside of our own bubble, uh, our individual bubble, and understand what's happening. Like today I was talking to someone and I didn't know this. So apparently uh, the Nigerian Naira, which is their local currency, has gone almost um, two or 300% against the U.S. dollar now used to be about 400. It's now about 650, 690. Um, While we were all busy with COVID, they were having these riots, which had to do with the police brutality. So I think it's us. No, not SARS. Oh yeah, SARS. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. SARS. I was going, not SARS, because it was a disease. Not not the disease, but (laughs) the the police force. The Mm -hmm. other SARS. (laughs) So this person was telling me that they ordered a truck which arrived in Port Nigeria in July. It just got released this week. But they said, you know what? It's okay. It wasn't great. It's okay. Because had it been in the street, it might have gotten destroyed. So in ways, we do need to keep abreast of what's going on in the rest of the world and Unfortunately, with the pandemic, a lot of the news we hear about is what's going on around us and the uh, the challenges around us, and we forget the challenges of the rest of the world. And if we're not aware of what else is going on, we can't also expand our minds because we get stuck into that little circle of what we do. So I think that this is also what's very important as you look to be a, either get into an entrepreneurial world or actually be self-sufficient, it's becoming aware of everything else that's around you. Stay and curious. A stick, stay curious. I got one final question. You're a busy lady. I don't want to abuse your time, but just one final question for the dad that I am of a young little girl who's seven and who's curious about the world. Seeing you as so accomplished as you are coming from, from back home from Haiti, I love to see, you know, boss ladies doing great things in the world. And what are the messages that we can, as parents, you know, give to, to our little girls, you know, who are, who are done to evolve into this shifting world that you see, you know, such a futuristic future. What are the best messages that we can do? What are the seeds that we can plant right now? You know, just not there. I don't need them to be the next Geneviève Levy. She's going to be the, she's no, she's going to be her own little awesome little lady, but you know, how can, how can we give the children, especially with these, these trying times of being confined, how can, how do we keep their spark open and, you know, just keep reaching for the stars? Value, that was actually something that I got from my mom. I never, she never saw failure for me as if she, she, how would I say? She taught me that failure was failure from me that I could change. So if I fail at something, it's because I didn't want it bad enough or I didn't try bad enough because I didn't want it bad enough. Not that somebody else had the power over me. So it's about being able to value yourself, but also having the 
fortitude to understand what you don't know and then going out there and learning it. So never be scared to go and learn more. So don't let somebody else put a value on you. Understand your value and continue to grow your value. Because if you let somebody else put that value on you, then you can be devalued. So it's great if somebody thinks you're worth more than you are, but don't let that also be the way to measure yourself because then you can end up where that value over time, that person devalues you. So know who you are, understand what you are, understand your strength, and also understand your weaknesses. And when you are, you can be the best that you want to be and no one else can stop you from doing that. So it's like feeling as though the world is your oyster. So if the world is your oyster, go crack as many as you want and do not. You know, it's like my motto is I never ask for permission. I may ask for forgiveness. That is such a Haitian thing. Oh, my God. Javier, I am uh, so humbled and so um, so enthused. Um, that is the word because I've learned so much. I didn't speak a lot about this exchange because I'm just taking it all in. And it's such a humbling thing to be able to sit in, in the presence of someone who's so accomplished and so knowledgeable and who's got so much good uh, to give back to the world. And it's something for everyone listening to this wonderful exchange. I just want to celebrate you and thank you for everything that you're doing uh, because it's a tremendous mission. It's a huge undertaking, you know, uh, poverty, world hunger, all wrapped up into one with a little sprinkle of technology all over it. It's uh, it's a wonderful thing, but it's uh, something I really want to applaud you for because it's something that we all should strive for, just bringing it back to what drives us, love, uh, serving the greater good, and building a community along the way. So for everything that you're doing, thank you so much for being on the program. It's a real honor. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pl real pleasure. For everyone who might want to be you know, even more curious, have questions about blockchain, who might want to connect with you, where can we find you on the interwebs? Oh, I'm all over the place. <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn, Geneviève Léveillé. So mm -hmm. I've made sure that's there. Uh, I can't seem to think about changing the one on um, Twitter. On Twitter? I'm, Gino in London. Gino in London. Yes, I can't so see. No, it's I so kooky. Leave it at it. I, I love it. I love it. I really do. And um, obviously Facebook and on, on the airwave. And I, I do try to make sure that I get to talk about this. And there's some really exciting things coming along. Uh, I am so happy that we are making strive. So please feel free. Sometimes it takes me a little longer to respond, but I try to respond to every request that I can. So go ahead and try and come and find me. Not a problem. And the official website, of course, is agriledger.io. Exactly. agriledger.io. We'll link that up on the blog post once it goes live. Final, 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 final item on the docket running tradition on the podcast. I know you dropped so many gems, but yes, it's just an open floor, a quote a sonnet, a song, a Haitian proverb, anything that someone can use as a stepping stone, you know, just to build that next step towards that next level. What can we leave the listeners with? Oh, I should have actually, I heard all your interviews. I, I was like just listening. I, I loved it. Uh, I should have thought, you know, my whole thing is really these days I keep going, tomorrow is just another day. So if today is not so great, tomorrow is going to, the sun is going to shine again. 
So just keep reaching for those stars and just keep going. Thank you so much, guys. You heard it here. Geneviève Levy, agriledger.io is the, the official website. Geneviève, again, from Canada all the way to the UK, I promise I will visit Jersey. Once this whole pandemic <laughs> dies down, I, me and the family are traveling just to come and say hi. But, and I'm, I'm going to be happy showing you. I mean, it's like, you know, I say I'm an island girl. <laughs> You, when you communicated that, guys, you need to, to Google to Google Map Jersey UK. I had to just scroll in. I'm like, does that is that really a place? Yes, it is. It is. Like, oh my god, of all the places, but wow, Haitians <laughs> get around. But oh, but Geneviève, it's been a thrill. Um, again, let's not be strangers. Open invitation anytime you want to be back, and your busy schedule allows. You're always welcome because there's so much to learn. And, you know, your presence, it's such an energetic one. Uh, it's definitely something we'd be honored to have you back again. Thank you. Have a terrific evening, guys. Awaken the Awesome, another episode in the can. Be sure to follow us, awakentheawesome.ca, awakentheawesome at gmail.com. Available on all the podcast platforms. You know where to find us. Give us a like. Give us a review. We always appreciate it. Have a terrific evening. Stay blessed and please do stay awesome. This has been another episode of the Awaken the Awesome podcast. We always love to get your feedback, so please do drop us a line via Instagram, Facebook, or email. Our email address, awakentheawesome at gmail.com. Do visit our official website at awakentheawesome.ca, where you can find our entire back catalog of episodes and incredible guests. Also, if you haven't already, please hop on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, give us a rating, and leave us a review, as this helps us tremendously in growing this podcast and spreading the word to more awesome listeners like you. We always appreciate your support and thank you for listening. Stay awesome.